for those of you that contributed and gave, and we were extremely blessed. We got lots of cards um, from people that have been here and have walked with us for years and just testimonies of what the church has meant to them. So we appreciate all of you. Thank you for being a part of that. So today is a little bit different. So we're going to actually talk about uh, the vision of the church. And for those of you that don't know, so Hilltop, actually, the, the church that you're presently in, um, we began two years ago. Um, and if you're wondering, kind of like, how did they come? I'm supposed to sit, but sitting is very hard for me. For okay. this. And I will. I'm sure I will. <laughs> but if you're kind of wondering, okay, Hilltop, what's the significance of that? I don't see the word Jesus, Bible, community, or Christian anywhere in the name of their church. Um, it's actually based upon Matthew 5. And um, for those of you that don't know, Governor uh, John Winthrop, who was the first governor of Massachusetts, when he was aboard the Arabella coming to the New World and coming to uh, settle, he actually wrote something called the Model for Christian Charity. And he pretty much wrote out and articulated, and, I, and the way I like to say it, it was almost like he put language to the dream that was in his heart of what would it look like to have a Christian a model for Christian charity, but it was actually a Christian community, a community that was based upon the authority of God's word, a community birthed out of the revelation of Jesus Christ and explicitly for that purpose. So he wrote this all out, and pretty much in that, he said Matthew 5, he quoted Matthew 5, that we shall be a city set upon a hill and a light to all peoples. He declared that. That's what. So one of the things that you can look at for Massachusetts, if you ever... If you're one of those people that in prayer, you don't necessarily want to go on your own whim or your own inclination, but you actually want to go back and say, what was God's intended purpose for Massachusetts? There's great authority when we pray with the understanding of God's intended purpose. So we have the conviction here that God put a dream in Governor Winthrop's heart. It was the dream of God's heart that Governor Winthrop was saying that Boston would be a city set upon a hill and a light to all peoples. For those of you that are familiar with Matthew 5, it actually, that passage of scripture, when it's being declared, it is, you are the light of the world. Declaring you as a people, as a Christian body of believers, you are the light of the world. And the New Living Translation actually says, a city set upon a hilltop cannot be hidden. So there are several reasons why we actually took the name hilltop. Number one it, it was the intended purpose of Boston in this region was to be a light to all nations. But it's, I love this passage of scripture because it speaks, number one, of our identity as people. It speaks to each and every single one of us as believers. You are the light of the world. He didn't even say, I've given you light to bring to the world. He actually said, you are the light of the world. And one of the beautiful things about even the word light is that also in Matthew 5, it's likened to that being the salt of the earth. And many other places, if you actually study um, and look at the connection between salt and light, it's actually likened to that of leaven, which most of us think of leaven in a bad sense, like sin, but there's a place in scripture where leaven is actually likened to the kingdom of God as far as when you put leaven in a lump of dough, leaven takes over. And with all three of these things, it's the prevailing influence. If you think about it, salt is not affected by lack of flavor. It's not like it, the lack of flavor infiltrates the salt, and now the salt loses all of its flavor. And in that sense, it is the, light is the influencing quality. No matter how much darkness there is, Amen. if you light a match, if you turn on a flashlight, no matter how 
prevailing influence. And so we find that in the Word of God. So number one, we find our identity as people. But it speaks to us, yes, as a community, as a body of believers, but it speaks to each and every single one of you. As far as the place and the, the identity before Christ, the call we're being called out of darkness and into light. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that we can unpack from that passage of scripture that we don't have an hour today to do that. But it even speaks and, and brings identity and calling to as a body of believers that we've been called out of darkness. The place that we've been called into fellowship with the light. We've been called children of the light. I mean, that speaks ginormously over a generation of young people that are bound in, in sin and immorality and addiction and sexual perversion. That we, that's what we've been called out of and into the light. It's identity, but then also purpose. A light to the nations of Amen. the earth. Yes. The place of influence and bringing the gospel to the nations of the earth. So it really speaks of Hilltop Church that we are not necessarily looking to pack a few Christians in a room to call ourselves a church and kumbaya it out through the last days and hope we all make it. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> what we're looking to do is actually be light in the midst of darkness. That's in our community, but also in the nations of the earth. We are looking and believing for the kingdom of God to prevail in the Boston region. And so we believe it's for that purpose and to that end that God has gathered a community of believers here. So that's Hilltop Church. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to go for, through the four core values of our church. What identifies us, what marks us, what um, distinguishes us as a people. And so the way we're going to move through this is that we have four core values. And under each of, of those four core values, what we're going to do is we're going to give you the scriptural premise to that core value. We're going to give you a little bit of our history of who we are and how God has fashioned that in us. And then from there, we'll identify how we are presently operating and working out. We'll cast vision for what we would want to see in the future for that core value. And we'll lay out for you how that's something that if it's in your heart, you could potentially be involved in. So there's those three phases that we'll move through. For those four things, number one, it's prayer, that we are a praying community. Number two, discipleship, as far as the, the importance and the emphasis upon this, in, of discipleship in the word of God. Number three is evangelism, evangelism and compassion, the emphasis in the word of God for the lost, and also being an advocate for the poor and the orphan and the widow. And lastly, activism, our role as far as being called to be activists in society, to not be silent, to, but to be, and the word of God actually uses, um, lift up your voice, spare not the place that we actually are to be a voice on behalf of those that have no voice. Uh, so number one, prayer. Uh, for those of you that don't know, so we, here we are, we gather here as Hilltop Church. There really would be no Hilltop Church <laughs> for the past two years if it weren't for something that pre really proceeded that and started in 2006. And for those of you that don't know, in 2006, we did 40 days and nights of nonstop worship and prayer. Um, actually, I was there. Uh, Lou, for those of you that don't know, Lou Engel was actually the visionary, asked me to lead it. My husband, who I was not married to at the time, led worship every single night. I mean, there was other worship leaders that did round the clock, but he led every corporate evening gathering. Will Eifler was there. I think he was like 16. <laughs> he played like violin, keyboard, whatever else he did. <laughs> he was a sign and a wonder to us. Um, and then the Lord actually spoke to him about coming back once we had started the house of prayer but just to lay it out for you in simplicity we never even intended to build a house of prayer that was 24 7 
When Lou charged me and called me, this is literally what he said. For those, any of you that have read the book, um, Reese Howells, The Intercessor, I highly recommend it. What he said to me is, all we need is a handful of intercessors, four or five people. He said, gather four or five people that have vision for the ingrate of God in Boston. Four or five people that will take responsibility, that won't necessarily just simply say, I want to see revival in my generation, but will lay upon themselves the responsibility of saying, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, and I will labor till this end to see revival in Boston. There was a lot more extensively that the Lord spoke to us during that 40-day season, uh, even regarding specifically the education system and praying for the purposes of God and what he wanted to birth out of the education system. Um, but in short, this region, and that includes the education system, meaning Harvard, many of you know the Christian history of Harvard, all of that included is that there is a well of revival, a well of awakening, but also a well of missionary sending. And believing God for the unstopping of that well, and that once again, this region would be a land of awakening and missionary sending. So pretty much he said to me, get four or five intercessors. And so the first year, that's exactly what we did. Got a couple, handful of people, we lived together, we prayed a lot. I'm just going to say, like, during that first year, we used to do 24-hour prayer amongst us with four or five people. We used to, and then at one point... We kind of sent everybody away because it was just, you know, hard and difficult. And there was two of us at one point, and we used to do all-night prayer for 40 days. <laughs> so anyway, we would just pray for the city. That was really all. I No agenda. No, like, we're going to build this thing. We're going to, we just in that place of saying, you know what? We want to see a move of God in our gener- generation, a genuine move of God. We want to see the church of Jesus Christ as it is intended to be. So we prayed for the churches, prayed for the universities, you know, from that place. And basically what happened was is in 2009, so it was four years ago now, we had a community come out from um, IHOP in Kansas City, if any of you are familiar or aware of them. They came out and we held another 40 days, night and day worship and prayer. And because it was corporate meetings at that point every single night, what we realized after that is there's so many people from the city of Boston that were gathering. It was the first time we went, we should probably open our prayer meeting before they put it on the website. Like there had been nothing public, nothing. We did get emails from people. People would email and be like, I hear there's people praying like every single day in Boston. Can we come pray with you? But because it's not like we had a lot of organized prayer, we were kind of like, ah. And if they were really persistent and, like, emailed multiple times, like, can you give me an address? I really am looking for an address. We finally would be like, okay, come pray. <laughs> it was not organized, not strategized. But then after IHOP was here, we actually decided to open our evening prayer meetings. Um, and it was during that time that, so 2009 was when we kind of made prayer public. And then it was um, in 2011, which was two years ago, um, when we launched the, the church plant from that place. And basically what had happened was, is from the place of prayer, from gathering in the place of prayer, we just realized that we were praying for the churches of New England, we were praying for a move of God and all of those things, but also we had young adults coming and saying, okay, the things that you guys are praying, I am in agreement with, uh, my heart resonates with, Um, even issues of holiness, issues of that they felt the Lord was impressing upon their hearts. But several of them would say, I can't really find a church that agrees with you. (laughs) There were several things, even in the place of prayer, 
of being a voice for the unborn. You know, we would have young adults come to us and say, you know, the, the pastor at my church, it says that we shouldn't be involved politically, that we shouldn't say anything about political issues. And our stance was, it's not a political issue, it's a spiritual issue. It's, it's a, a national guilt, a national sin before God. So there's things that we were carrying a conviction and even a vision from God that we realized that when in gathering a community of people, we were all going very vertical. We were in the place of worship, in the place of prayer, but on a horizontal level of relationship and also just the teaching of the word of God. Like, where are the passages of scripture that teach these things? And why do we pray for this? And what is the scriptural authority? We started realizing we're responsible to disciple and to teach and to train. So that Sunday when we launched, we never actually said we're starting a church. We never said, this is going to be a church. We actually were like, okay, for the people that gather for prayer, we're going to do discipleship. And we'll do it on Sundays. And we still, I think, didn't call it a church. But as it started taking on more of a form and a structure, we kind of went, okay, this is a church. That's what you call in the, the New Testament a church. <laughs> um, so pretty much out of a prayer meeting, the church really was birthed, which is not very different than the, not saying that we're the book of Acts or any of those things, but that is the model that you see in book of Acts. You actually see that they gathered in an upper room, they actually were praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. From that, 3,000 were, were added to the church, and they actually grew as a church community. The, the, the birthing of the New Testament church was from that place. And for any of you guys that even wonder, like, why am I bringing it back to that prayer meeting? Because anything we do here on Sundays actually is not separate or divorced or other than the praying community that, number one, birthed this church, but number two... Even we as a church, that is the identity that we hold as a people. In Isaiah, but then also in the, in the book of Matthew, in Matthew, it's actually quoting where it says it in Isaiah, but it's declared, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus was declaring in Matthew, this is actually the, he actually did it twice. There's actually two times. It was at the beginning of his ministry, the end of his ministry. When he goes into the temple and he declares, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He is declaring and identifying the primary vocation of the church, the primary role of the church, of what it is called to be. That even today we got to have our cookies and our coffee and it's a little bit more of a social environment today which is wonderful and it's needed. But that is not our primary calling as a people. Our primary calling as a people is to operate as a kingdom of priests before the Lord. And that is our primary call as the church of Jesus Christ. That when the disciples came to Jesus, we all know and quote in Luke where uh, Jesus basically teaches them how to pray. He's teaching them the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Just before that, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. You figure, they saw the life of Jesus Christ. They saw miracles, they saw signs, they saw wonders, they saw heavenly favor and anointing. They never went to Jesus and said, teach me how to do miracles. Teach me how to build a church. Teach me how to get a following. Teach me how to get a Twitter following. <laughs> Teach me how to influence culture. None of that. They went to the root. See, all of those things are fruit. <laughs> that was the fruit of Jesus' life because of the lifestyle of prayer that he lived. And they went right to that root because they had seen him. He would come down from the mountain from being there all night long in the place of prayer. 
This was a man that would see multitudes saved and delivered, and he wasn't on such a spiritual high that he was so awesome, and he had attained to something in this earth. But you literally find it would say that that night he would seclude himself in the place of prayer. I mean, the extraordinary lifestyle of Jesus Christ, and that is what the disciples cried out for. They said, teach us how to pray. And so we as a people, yes, I just laid out before you Matthew 5, the city set upon a hill, like all people, we want to be a light to the nations. None of that happens. <laughs> None of that comes through anything other than a praying community of people that first and foremost, in the place of prayer, they labor for the salvation of souls. The other interesting thing is, is that passage of scripture that says a house of prayer for all nations, the word that prayer there is actually very intimately connected with the word intercession. So yes, we want to be a community of people of devotional prayer, of sitting before the Lord, of soaking in his presence, of ministering to him, of um, even the, the reading of the word and the praying of the word of God for our own edification and our own building up. But a true sign of our health in our community, not, uh, uh, not just as a community of people like gathered together, but even as individuals. I'm just going to tell you, a true sign of our health as Christians and if we say that we're intimate with the Father and that we have relationship with the Father is truly when we begin to have his heart for the world surrounding us. See, oftentimes people think there's a wrestle between like devotional prayer and intercession prayer. Kind of like, well, if I leave devotional prayer, now I'm going to be in like striving and works and it's hard work to intercede. Or, and then the opposite is true. People that are intercessors are like, oh, those people that all they want to do is sit before the Lord and they would never want to contend. But it's not one or the other, it's both and. <laughs> that in the place of relationship with the Lord, if you're truly relating, if you are relating with the heart of God, it is going to bring you a burden for people. You can't remain selfish for long. <laughs> Your eyes begin to turn outward. But the same is true, is that you're not leaving the place of friendship, and you're not leaving the place of devotion or love relationship. What you're doing is you're walking in maturity of relationship, of saying, I have your heart, and I want to walk together to see your purposes come to pass. So praying community. Uh, number two. How are we on time, actually? We're doing good. Okay. Yeah. Um, praying community. Do you have anything to add? Yeah. Just on a practical sense, we're, we're a ministry that values prayer. You know, that's, that's the core of what Bethany is saying. We're not treating it as like a second place ministry is what she's saying. We treat it with, with the utmost attention. And, um, and, and that's ultimately at the core of what she's saying. And I, I would just relate it back to what she said about what Jesus said when he walked into the temple. and became frustrated at what the temple had become. A den of thieves was his words, right? And, um, and he could have used any language, like Bethany said, to identify the church. You know, he could have called it a house of healing or a house of teaching. But he says it shall be a house of prayer. And honestly, this is the core foundation, prayer, is the core foundation of who we are as a ministry. It's actually, we've been doing this house of prayer thing, if you would call it, for seven years now. We're only in our second year of a church plant. So it's, it's, it's not treated for just, you know, I say this often, I mean no disrespect by it, but two old ladies, you know, in the janitor closet of the church trying to pray for the church, you know. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's meant for all of us to, um, to uphold the church, uphold our city, uphold our nation in prayer. Uh, and, yeah, I, I just, that, that's all I would add to. I think Bethany went right to the core. 
uh, of it. But yeah, we value, we so value the place of prayer, not religiously. I know Jesus came out against the Pharisees about, you know, their, uh, their zealous, their overzealous nature, you know, and they would bring their pu- prayer to the public square and whatnot. And he'd talk about, you know, developing, a, you know, a closet life prayer, you know. Uh, that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a group that is, um, that is uh, like Paul said, devoting ourselves to prayer always with a clear mind, a, and a, I'm sorry, a sober mind and a thankful heart. Uh, so, yeah, that's all I would add to it. Uh, it's just that above all else, Prayer is where our hearts are at. It's where the Lord is calling us and where we'll always be um, and what we'll always be doing. Mm -hmm. Amen? And I think where Daryl was saying that it's not necessarily like a ministry of the church in the sense of that we have pre-service prayer to pray for our church service. For the sense of like we're going to gather together to pray for our church service. Yes, we want to pray that there's a move of the Holy Spirit in our church service, but it's far beyond our church. It's, it's more we're praying on behalf of a city and a region and a nation. And actually, Psalm 132 is where David actually makes this vow. And he says um, how he swore to the Lord and he vowed to the uh, mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go up to the chamber of my house, nor will I go to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place of rest for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And it was that vow that he made. He wasn't even necessarily saying, I'm going to pray until I birth a church or pray until I birth a ministry or pray until I write a book, you know, like those things. He was saying, actually, he was not going, he was going to give himself to the place of prayer, that that is what he would relentlessly seek the Lord for until he had established a dwelling place, a resting place for the Lord in the earth. And see, that's one of the things is if you're like, oh, they've been praying seven years. Well, what's the answer to their prayer? is we're praying for citywide transformation and revival. That Boston would become a dwelling place and a resting place for the Lord. That place where, through night and day worship and prayer, that there is a place that is created for him, that he is welcome to come, and that he takes possession of that which is rightfully his. And even as I said in Matthew 5, how Boston was dedicated to the Lord. It really was. It was set apart for him. And what we're saying is, come and take that which is rightfully yours. Come and take possession of this land that was dedicated unto you, which then begins with people. So we're praying for souls. And so on a practical note, uh, Wednesday through uh, Friday, there's morning prayer that takes place at 135 Western Avenue. From 6.30 to 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, there's a morning Devo set um, that various people, worship leaders and prayer leaders lead um, from 6.30 to 8 we actually do have like a little bit, like a, uh, two days a week, a little bit of a secret set that's happening. Daniela is leading it. <laughs> Not a secret anymore. We haven't posted on the web just with uh, the demands of, you know, motherhood, but she also runs a business and things like that. We were just kind of giving her room in this season to find out how that time frame worked for her, but she is leading and doing two hours, and then she's uh, filled in for Daryl. And um, So we have the morning and then mid-morning that's happening with Daniela. And then we have evening prayer Wednesday through Saturday. So each, each one of those nights from 7 to 9. Um, so why don't we do this? Why don't we have our worship leaders stand just so that people can... Um, Daniela, Daryl, who else here is leading? Can you lead a set, worship? Yep. Yep. Uh, this is Sarah Rayad. This is Christina Ho. This is Will Eichler, for those of you that don't know. Um, Isabel Costello is actually in with the kids today. She does the Friday evening um, set. 
Oh, Anna's not here either. Um, Anna, for those of you that know Anna, she does the Wednesday morning set. Um, Daniela and Daryl um, are the people that are leading worship. And then why don't we have our prayer leaders stand? So you guys can meet all of our prayer leaders. We have Jordan Wells. Jordan's been with us for probably six years. <laughs> Maybe more. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I was, I don't think I was even married yet no, when Jordan no. joined us. So she's been faithful. She's been a Come pillar on. in the house, steadfast, consistent through the highs and the lows. Uh, <laughs> she stood. Uh, we have Douglas that actually, I think you joined us when the church was launched, right? Was yes, it sir. Two years ago. Antioch. Uh, Crystal who's been with us several years, but actually she's been with me since she was young, yes. like young, young. Um, Whipper. The church that we worked in the youth ministry in, she was a part of. <laughs> and then we have, uh, sorry, John Howard. I'm like, I'm thinking, oh, like, where do I meet you? Stop. <laughs> was it through the church that we met you, John? Yeah, it was beginning of this year. Beginning of this year. Yeah. Feels like forever. <laughs> and for those of you that don't know Jin, um, Jin has been a part of our team for how long? Three years, and she is such a joy and such a delight and such a blessing to us. Um, I don't know if there's any other prayer leaders that aren't here. No, nope, I think that's it as far as I know. Um, so you're probably thinking, or you can sit down, prayer leaders. You're probably thinking, what does this mean for me? Well, the goal is to um, start, and we've started with these uh, four days of prayer that we essentially have right now, with day and night prayer, by day and by night, not from the morning until the next morning, but by day and by night. And so we've started this journey as of uh, this new school year. I think September is when we started of having Wednesdays uh, through Fridays, uh, morning and night prayer, and then Saturday nights keeping our Saturday night prayers set in, intact and in, in doing that as well. So uh, what this means for us as a church body, the goal is not to just stop at five days of prayer. The goal ultimately would be 24-7, but... The next level goal would actually be every day, seven day um, six days a week, um, from Monday until Saturday, morning and night sets happening. Two hours in the morning, two hours at night. Uh, so there's inroads, there's on-ramps here. And um, I would look at it in three different stages. I would look at it uh, worship leader, prayer leader, and participator. We need more worship leaders, prayer leaders, and obviously participators that would uh, come and pray with uh, us and the different sets that we involve, uh, that we have, sorry. Uh, so what we have, in, and we'll get, we'll get to that probably later, but we have some sign-up sheets. If your heart burns for prayer, uh, if you're uh, a gifted musician, you know, we're not saying we're just going to throw you up there after this meeting, but we can absolutely get the ball rolling and if any of that kind of strikes a chord with you in terms of you getting involved, uh, then I would encourage you. And also, listen, uh, you know, don't gauge your gift, your giftedness. Don't say, well, I'm not such a good singer. Oh, I don't think I could lead confidently uh, a, a small group into prayer, you know. Uh, don't wash all those things aside. Take a chance and see what the Lord might do. But also, listen, if you just want to participate, please be that. That's enough right there, okay? So, yeah, so there's when you guys leave today out on the information table, there is sign up sheets because basically what those sign up sheets will do is we'll have a follow up meeting. If it's one of you or 10 of you that say, I would love to participate in the worship dynamic, whether it's playing an instrument or singing or prayer leading, we're going to do a follow up um, meeting with those people regarding house of prayer, regarding the leading of prayer sets. 
So there'll be follow-up meetings um, for each of these areas. And so there's sign-up sheets. So the next is discipleship. So basically, it was from the place of prayer as far as the responsibility for discipleship. And most of you are probably familiar with Matthew 28, 19, where actually the charge and the command was given, go you therefore and make disciples. Jesus never said, like, go ye therefore and just save the lost and leave them. It it was the place of the making of disciples of Jesus Christ. And so basically, Hilltop Church was born out of that as the place of saying, we need to be rooted and grounded in the word of God, but growing in a like-minded place that this is the conclusion that we have come to based upon the word of God and what we're called to do. And so basically, the Sunday services were for that purpose, the articulation and the dissemination of the word of God. We, in the past, have had small groups. If there's anybody in this room going, small groups, small groups, what's happened to small groups? Small groups um, are a double-edged sword. Yes. Everybody wants them. Everybody wants them. Nobody wants to participate. Everybody wants a small group. (laughs) (laughs) Then when you start the small group, nobody shows up. (laughs) Or they show up for a week or two. You know, it's just the consistency. And so you got these small group leaders that, you know, break their neck to be there and, you know, they prioritize their time and they prep and then they're like, oh, nobody's in small group. So really what we're looking at is, <laughs> it's true, everybody always says to me, you always need small groups. That's the, you know. um, what we're looking at is actually launching another, going completely differently um, and, and looking at this differently is really what is a small group? It's for the purpose of relationship, but there's prayer meetings happening at the house of prayer. So you can go there to meet with the Lord. But really from the place of really more heart connect and even more individualized, even being supported in the place of prayer, what we're looking at is starting a group where there actually is worship that takes place, meaning men, and we've always done it, a female group and a male group, um, so that there can be open sharing and things like that. But we're looking at now starting um, a time of worship and then a time where for about 15 minutes, there's the breaking down of scripture of like whether it's a Bible study or whether we're looking at course curriculum. And then from that, breaking up the males and the females for discussion, but also more specifically for individuals to pray for one another and bear one another's burdens in that place. So that's what we're looking at doing and giving that a go and seeing how that goes. Like, <laughs> yeah, like all things, you know, I, I view really... The interaction between a church and its parishioners as like 50-50. And discipleship is one of those things where it takes 50% of the person who desires to be disciple and 50% of the person that's actually doing the discipling. And um, the crux is, is there's a lot of cry in the people's hearts for those small groups, those organic type settings where it's like it's a smaller group. You can get one-on-one time. You can maybe break down, get some one-on-one prayer. Uh, but you start good, you don't necessarily finish well, where you got like one guy and you, and you're just, you're working it out. And um, so we're really trying to think of a creative way on how to remedy, I think, some of these problems, and I, I think the Lord's given us some clarity. But we also started this um, in the uh, church, Hilltop, as a means of discipleship. Uh, I remember uh, it was it act- when it actually started in my heart uh, to plant the church, was when I had, a, uh, I think it was actually one, one uh, young man, I won't mention his name, he's not here anymore, he, he, he's graduated, and uh, he came to me and he said, I, I love J-Hop, I love what we do, and he was, he was really faithful to coming to prayer sets and being a part, um, but he, he expressed his desire for something more, you know, where it wasn't so vertical, but it was a connection between, you know, uh, and, and that connection being in the form of discipleship. 
And ultimately, this church was, uh, uh, was started simply out of the desire to want a disciple. Uh, and not, you know, we knew that prayer sets weren't doing that. Uh, so we, out of that, wanted to, to start this. So we're looking forward to correcting the remedy of, uh, you know, maybe what we don't have in placement for those small group things. But really, we don't want to just run around the mountain, you know, a couple times till we get it. We got it the first year we tried it, and now we're going to try something different. You know, one thing I would suggest, too, for all of us, and if for me uh, specifically, uh, I was able to connect with a close friend of mine who's uh, doing a church plan out in Georgia. And uh, they do this thing. It's called Dance with the One Who Brought You, you know. Uh, and and the, the, the core of it is, like, if you bring somebody, make them your... Your, 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 you know, lock arms with them, disciple them, dance with the one who brought you, you know, and, and we all have a play in discipleship. You understand? It's not just, uh, you know, me and Bethany discipling. It's, it's us as a church community discipling. It's us as a church community uh, looking for those, you know, maybe out in this room today of maybe the Lord's doing something in our hearts towards them and we want to take our relationship a little further and maybe even in the regards of discipleship. So, um, so dance with the one who brought you, but we also will look forward to kind of look at some new avenues yeah. in, in creating. And I mean, ideally the goal that we would like is that say I'm connecting one-on-one individually with 12 people, like on a weekly or bi-weekly <coughs> basis. And then those 12 people are connecting one-on-one, you know, with individuals, like real face, real name, real interna- interaction. Um, so basically in, under discipleship, if you have an interest in small groups of helping and being a part of small groups, of organizing small groups, there's the sign-up out there. Um, but as far as Hilltop Church is concerned, which comes under the category of discipleship, is um, we have the hospitality department, which Jordan does. She oversees kind of whenever there is goodies and things happening. Um, it's her that's coordinating and organizing people to bake and things like that if you want to wave your hand. Um, hospitality, there's Hilltop Kids, which Jin, if you want to... Um, she's organizing as far as with Hilltop Kids, if you have a heart for children. Um, media, Will oversees all the media that happens with the church. Um, and then there's music as far as the worship team. Daryl oversees that. And then we have the basic of volunteers, of setting up and breaking down and greeting and all of those things which Crystal oversees. So there's sign-up sheets. If any one of those places you say, I'd like to be in part, I'd like to be involved, you can sign up. We're going to try to move quickly so that we're not... Um, the next area, as far as the core value for us as a community, is compassion and evangelism. Um, if you do have your Bible with you, um, you can turn to a couple of passages of Scripture with me. Um, the main passage of Scripture that we're going to look at is in Matthew twenty-five thirty-one. 31. Um, but while you're getting there, I'm going to give you a few other passages of Scripture. Luke nineteen ten is where uh, the passage of Scripture that I'm sure you're all familiar with is that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Oftentimes we just think that the lost are just going to come to us. Like if they're hungry, they'll just show up at our front door. It's saying Jesus came, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That is actually what he came for, but there was the seeking after. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but in long, is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Oftentimes, we have a very, very callous heart towards the lost. This passage of scripture says he is not willing that any should perish. 
What would happen if we came to a place of having God's heart to that degree of not being willing that any should perish? I mean, just recently, my son has been asking me very, very, like, frightening questions because he desperately wants to understand heaven. He's been very asking me a lot about heaven. But in that, one day he asked me something like, um, so everyone goes to heaven, right, mommy? And I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, he's four. You introduce the concept of hell at this point. But then I'm thinking, if I don't tell him the truth, what am I going to do when he's like six or eight? Be like, hey, mommy, there was a little <laughs> nugget I just left out. Let's <laughs> rewind <laughs> to where you were four. I lied. <laughs> now everybody goes out. I mean, I haven't. <laughs> so I did say to him, I actually said, well, no, not everybody goes to heaven. And he like looked at me and he goes, well, where do the rest of the people go? <laughs> and I looked at him, I said, hell. And he was like, Ew. Like, you know, he looked at you. I mean, he doesn't even know what that is. And you could tell he looked like, ooh, I don't know. And he said, what is that? And I said, it's forever being separated from God. You don't feel his presence. You don't hear his voice. It's eternal separation from God. And, you know, so he's asking about that. And as we're discussing it, he said to me, he was asking questions about the devil. You know, he's like, really? And I'm like, oh, you know, I kept thinking, like, I hope he turns around and sees a Lego and gets distracted because this is just really. So he gets it. Now, this is my son's theology right now. He goes, the Satan, Satan has a couple of days on the earth to get some friends. And he said, and people can choose if they want to be a friend of God. He's, t- he's telling my parents this the other night. He gets he, like, he has it in like a couple sentences, like. Theology 101. (laughs) They have a couple of days to choose if they want God or Satan. And he said, so you have two choices. You choose heaven or hell. You know, like kind of like it's that that simple. And, you know, in that, I said to Abram, I said, honey, what we need to understand is heaven and hell are forever. You don't get to change your mind afterwards. And I think sometimes as people, we're so callous of kind of like, well, I got my ticket to heaven. I'm doing all right. You know, like, and, you know, some of us are worried a little bit about our family members. That's a little concerning because we hope we see them in heaven. You know, that kind of like weird religious, like, I want to see my mom in heaven. You know, but, you know, yeah, great. You know, I want to see my mom too. Don't stop there. But forget (laughs) that. When you look at souls, when you look at an individual, whether it's in Harvard Square or in your class, and instead of being indifferent of kind of like, I got my ticket and good luck with you. Hope you make it. But more understanding that there is eternal damnation. I mean, that should provoke some kind of a jealous desire inside of us of, you should know Jesus. You should really, yes, in this life, he will change everything dramatically. But there's also a bonus. Then in eternity, you get to live with him. So this place of when Jesus said that he is not willing that any should perish. So this is, in a general sense, as a body and believers of people, as a church, we are sick and dysfunctional if our eyes are not upon and if we're not burdened for the lost that are around us. If we ever get to the point that we want to build a megachurch and build a movement and I want to build, you know, all the things that we want to build without understanding that there are hundreds of thousands of lost people surrounding us, I'm going to put it to you straight up right here. I am not looking to build a ministry with, uh, with uh, transplants from other churches. I'm not looking to grow off of somebody else's church or somebody else. I would rather first-time believers that have never uttered the name of Jesus Christ come with all your mess, come with all your addiction, come with all your mental illness, and encounter the man Christ Jesus rather than 
joke that have eaten from every table and they are still dissatisfied with what Jesus has to offer. I don't need it. I don't want the headache. I'm not looking to build with that. I am looking and saying we need to be a body of believers. Yes, prayer is first and foremost. Yes, discipleship. But we desperately need to capture the heart of God for the lost. In even a very more specific sense in the lost, when we, the reason that we group evangelism and compassion together is, I don't know how many of you have looked very closely at Matthew 25. It's scary. Matthew 25 is scary. So here's Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. This is Jesus separating the sheep from the goats. Do you ever wonder what's going to distinguish the sheep from the goat? Here it is. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, the sheep, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Verse 41, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you did not give me food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then he will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you. Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it also to me. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's a sobering scripture. Yes. But that's actually how he distinguishes the sheep from the goats. It's convicting, really, for all of us. Because you might, in your mind, categorize it as sexual immorality or, you know, one of the big, bad, ugly ones where he literally breaks it down into the place of compassion for humanity. So anyway, this is, like I said, the emphasis that we place. Um, we really need to move on for time's sake. But um, what, we, what we do right now presently is on the second Friday night of every month, we do outreach in Harvard Square. This is kind of what we're doing at present to do evangelism and to do compassion. Uh, with the winter months coming, we do collect clothing. There is food that's distributed. If you haven't been there, we go out and uh, do some worship in the square. This is what's presently happening. What that requires, we always need people to serve food. We always need people to gather donations and to bring donations. There's food prep the night of. There's even just the simple helping with the tasks there. Daryl and Lil Will lead worship. Would we love to do that more consistently? We absolutely would. 
And what that requires is more people. There's something else that we've always done, what we did in the past, um, but we have not sustained it because of the amount of work that it takes. Um, but if you have a heart for this, we actually in the past did Isaiah 58 mandate. And what that was is from a Friday to a Saturday is we would hold 24 hours of worship and prayer. In the midst of the 24 hours in worship and prayer, we would send out teams to do acts of compassion and evangelism on the streets. I mean, it's something that really is in my heart to do. It's definitely not something that I can facilitate and do well. Let's just say I can try to facilitate it and it will not go well. <laughs> um, but these are things that if you have a heart for evangelism and compassion, there's a sign-up sheet. And it's something Jordan has been overseeing. Outreach, if you want to raise your hand, um, she's somebody that you can connect with. Um, we're going to cover our last and final point here, which is activism. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I understand that every church takes a very, very different stand on social and political issues. Um, the, the place that we, the position that we take is that many of these issues are not even about politics. And they're really not about the government. They're about the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, let's just use something even very practical regarding the poor. Oftentimes, we think <laughs> that it's the government's job to somehow provide for the poor. It's not the government's job. It's the job of the church. It's our job. You know, Bill Wilson actually punched the numbers with church attendance, the number of people that sit their butts in a church on Sunday in America. He actually did the math, and that if every single person, it wasn't even 10%, it wasn't even a tithe. I think he actually did it based on like 5% or something. But he said if every single person contributed, he said just from the Church of America, there would be enough money to eradicate poverty worldwide. He's a minister that primarily ministers in New York City to Orphaned orphan children. children and people who are in poverty. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, no, he's, he's brilliant. It's what he's given his life for. Um, but there's a passage in Amos, and this is actually years ago. I'm on the board of an organization called Bound for Life, and I've served them for about six years. Yesterday marked their nine-year anniversary mm -hmm. that they've been in existence. Um, but when I first started working with them, there was a passage of scripture in Amos, actually, that really just struck my heart. My Bible is falling apart, as you can see. My binding is... Um, there's a passage of scripture in Amos. Um, and I don't know how... Actually, why don't you turn there with me? It's Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. And this is... I'm just going to highlight to you the importance of being active. And when I say activism, it's really anything that is upon the heart of God. It's any issue that God is burdened for, that he cares for, um, that we would not close our eyes and plug our ears and kind of go into our hole of religious um, comfort. But you actually have Amos chapter 5, verse 21. Um, this is the prophet saying, I hate and I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings. He's basically going through, you're doing all your religious duty. You're doing it all. You're doing all the things required of the law. You're doing all your acts of worship. I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fat and peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your song. This is their co corporate worship. <laughs> They're gathering together for corporate worship. And he says, take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. Verse 24, but let justice roll down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. 
Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried Shikuth, your king, and Shuin, your idol, the star, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. This word, actually, um, in verse 26, um, Shikuth, is actually, it's a word for the God of Molech. And for those of you that don't know, what he's actually speaking to, the God of Molech is who they sacrifice their children to. What this passage of scripture is saying literally, instead of like in words that we don't understand, is that the God of Molech was in your midst. It it was in your midst. They were offering their children to the God of Molech, and you just carried on with your worship songs and with your feasting and offering your sacrifices before God. He's basically saying you came with ritual. And I wanted you to move beyond your ritual and establish righteousness and justice in the land. There's that place of responsibility that he placed. Did you even hear where he says, I hate and I despise. Put away from me the noise of your song. I mean, we think we're all gathering together and we're going to sing like a song to Jesus. You know, how many of us like we're going to worship the Lord and he's going to be pleased and he's going to, you know, all of those things, he's going to be moved. And he's actually sitting there offended with the fact that the church of Jesus Christ will not lift up his voice on behalf of the unborn. He's saying, why don't you side with the side of the oppressed? Why don't you become an advocate for those that have no voice? That is true worship. That's the place of worship. And so as a community of people, our heart is that we would be active on issues that God is passionate about. Number one, very clearly, we can't get into it today, but the issue of the unborn, the issue of innocent bloodshed. If there is any person in here today that has um, suffered the pain of abortion that has participated, whether as a female or a male, um, a male obviously being one that fathered a child that was aborted. We're, I want to say this on the front end. There is no judgment. There is no condemnation. The ground at the cross is level. We don't stand in judgment of those. But we as a nation, the legalization of it in the 53 million babies that have been aborted, we stand all with, guilt, with blood guilt on our hands as a nation. And it's something that is on the heart of God that we must be active and we must be a voice. There's a, a quote. It's a, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Abraham Kuyper. When principles that run against your deepest convictions begin to win the day, then battle is your calling and peace has become sin. You must, at the price of dearest peace, lay your convictions bare before friend and enemy with all the fire of, of your faith. You know, one of the things, whether it's, I mean, there's a, a multitude, as you know, in our generation, sex trafficking is huge. I mean, it, it, it's something that is pervading our culture. There, and even with that, if it's something that has, is the issue of our day and we stand silent and we're not active on those things, we stand guilty. There's a place of guilt that we have. I once heard a quote that said, um, silence is the voice of um, consent. That whatever we're, you think about it. If you were experiencing and watching someone being brutally beaten and abused, and you, you stood by as a bystander without lifting up your voice or intervening on their behalf, you're guilty. You're guilty that it continued because you did nothing. Now, hear me. When we begin to talk about the injustices of the world, sex trafficking, abortion, all of these things, they're monumental and they're huge. And I understand that for most of us, we sit there and kind of go, well, what am I, what am I, what am I supposed to do? Uh, I'm going to say this. Start with prayer. Yeah. Start there. 
Just stop. That is your responsibility. And from there, the Lord will give you open door and opportunity. That's all that's required of you is start there, develop and cultivate a a burden of the Lord upon your heart for those issues. So number one, there's Bound for Life. The first um, Saturday of every month, there's information out there, but there's a siege at the courthouse. We're standing on behalf of the unborn. There are, we would love to see things developed as far as advocacy and somehow as a community that we can be involved as far as the ending of sex trafficking in any way. I mean, it's huge in Boston, for those of you that don't know. It's, it, this is one of the biggest places in the country for that industry as far as girls being trafficked. It, it's the eastern quarter between here and New York. Um, but yes, the, the issue of um, sex trafficking, obviously the issue of adoption. Of There's countless orphans in our generation. Orphans, I understand there's many young adults here that are like, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm just putting these things out there that we would love to see things developed. Not that we need to reinvent the wheel, but if there are things happening that we can plug into and strengthen, that we want to partner with the heart of God, that that is important to us. So there's a sign-up sheet for those things as well. And just understanding it is our core value. It's who we are as a people, that we do not divorce ourselves from these things, that this is either who we are and what we give ourselves to cultivate and to build, or we cease to exist. <laughs> um, but in closing, Daryl had a passage of scripture you wanted no, to share out of Habakkuk? No, it's fine. Okay. Well, we're all familiar with it. I'll, I'll, I'll share it, sure. Um, <clears throat> she's doing such a great job. We all know this verse in Habakkuk. It says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision and make it plain on the tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Uh, for it will surely come. It will not be delayed. Uh, you know, all these things are great, but if we're not willing to do anything with them, uh, they are going to produce no fruit, honestly, in the earth. And it takes more than just five or six people, uh, you know, holding up these different core values of the church. Our heart is that we would be a church that just are not standing on the sidelines, but that we're engaged. And it's not that these four core values are the totality of what we represent. They're where we're at now. And through the years and through our history, there will become more as we begin to develop. But this is what we're starting off, and this is what we have to offer as, um, as an on-ramp uh, to service and to getting plugged in and connected. Uh, so we felt like it was important to to kind of communicate our heart um, in this manner. Yeah, so there are, so this is who we are, it's what defines us, it's what we feel like God's called us to and what we want to establish and build in the city. But like we've said, there there's sign-up sheets, but I think one of the really important things that even that we want to emphasize is understanding that as a community of people, we are going to have individuals that just come to kind of experience worship because obviously we have extraordinarily gifted and anointed worship leaders. Um, you know, people come for a variety of reasons, but not every person that comes here is actually feels like they're called to this church or even called to help build the church. Um, I know that there's many people that attend that actually they, they consider another church their home. You know, actually, in the Word of God, they actually uses, which I actually love, uses the, the terminology, the household of faith. 
I mean, it just so speaks to that place of the household of faith being the family of God, that there's a family that you identify with. And so we're going to have people that kind of come here casually once a month, twice a month, but they have a church that's their home. They have a pastor who prays for them, that visits them when they're sick, that gives them a meal when they have a baby. You know, they have a church community and they more come to partake of what the Lord's doing here. And that's wonderful. If that's you, you're welcomed, you're loved, come, come whenever you're able to, and we love to see your face. (laughs) But then there's another community of people that they actually feel like this is home, this is the church where God has called me to link arms, to labor, to build. There's those of you that, as far as pastorally, that you know that you look to Daryl and I for prayer, for counsel, for support, for wisdom, that when you're in a time of crisis, that we'll get a phone call. Um, and that's understanding that those are people that actually feel called that this is their home. And there's two passages of scripture that I love. One is actually in first Peter and the whole chapter of first Peter five is wonderful. But verse two says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but examples to the flock. The word he uses is understanding the flock that you're laboring among, but he says those that have been entrusted to you. What that language means, entrusted to you, it means that if you are here and you look to Daryl and I for pastoral counsel and wisdom, there's a place that you've been entrusted to us. And in and, and all honesty, we will give an account for walking with you and even supporting and, and the, even the counsel that we give you. But it's the place of understanding that they, they have been entrusted. There's another passage of scripture in Acts 20, verse 28, that says, Therefore, take heed to yourself into all the flock amongst which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So what we're putting out there is one of the other sign-up sheets is getting connected. That if you're somebody that you in your heart have identified, this is home for me and this is my family. But you actually haven't verbalized that. We probably sit, because we do know that many people eat from the great buffet of the kingdom of God (laughs) and go lots of places. There's a place where I know that people are looking to us for care and for counsel that I take a whole different level of responsibility. As far as, um, you know, one individual in this room, I won't say who, but even at a time of, you know, a surgery that happened because they had verbalized, this is home for me. They had done it prior months. I, I probably would have if they didn't tell me this is our home. This is where we are now. When I heard that they were having surgery, I probably would have been like, well, I'll pray for you. I pray you heal. And in my mind, I'd be thinking, I know their pastor is going to visit them and provide them with a meal. I know their pastor will make sure other people get there to visit them because they're in a church community. And that's what that church will do. But if it's someone that I know that is here and they're looking to this family to be their support system, it's completely different. And there's a place of responsibility. So if you are someone that wants to be connected in that sense and you're saying this is home and this is the family that I'm a part of, what we're going to have is a meeting and it's just called Get Connected. And it's more just to identify those that this is their home and their church body, but for a greater sense of connectedness and even to take away the mystery of it, of going, do you have a pastor? Is someone, but there's even a place of accountability. 
Like if this is, I'll assume if somebody doesn't come for three weeks and I know that they visit multiple churches, I'm like, they're at their church. Good for them. But someone that I know that this is home, if I don't see them, I mean, there's certain people I'll say, Daryl, have you heard from so-and-so? Did they let you know? I haven't seen them for two weeks. Are they okay? Are, are they doing well? Are they, oh, yep, I heard from them. They're on vacation there. I mean, we'll, in, in praying over people, there's other people that if we're praying for them and we have a concern regarding their health or I'll shoot them an email praying for you. How are you doing? Is there anything? But because I know that they don't have a pastor, that I am their pastor. But other people, I just assume I'm like, you got a church? They'll take care of you. Come see us and visit us. We love your face. <laughs> I hope that's clear as far as our heart. And so there's a sign up called Get Connected. So if that's where you're at. It will help us tremendously for me and Bethany, you know, just to be able to give an account before the Lord, but also to be, uh, you know, responsible for some of the things that you're going through personally to be more connected and identified. Because, you know, for the even the short amount of time that we've been meeting now here at the Sheraton, I don't know if anybody else has noticed, but there's been tremendous influx of different groups and in different faces, and we want to be able to identify, not that we can lay claim to anybody, you know, that's not the heart behind it. The heart is that we can give a response, you know, uh, if a response is needed, that we can give a right account before God, that we did the best we could, God, with the people that you gave us to shepherd. And, you know, Jesus had 12, you know, we're, we're looking, I think we have 60 seats set up, so, you know, it can be a lot, and, and it will help us better to kind of you know, narrow down the gap from those who like to just maybe participate with some of the aspects of our service and those who are like, I'm in it. I love this place. This is home. And this is where my heart uh, grows and flourishes. And we can just quickly identify. I know it's been long, guys. I know this has been tremendously long. We'll probably have to do it again just because there is such an influx of people that come through uh, on a monthly basis. Um, but thank you for um, bearing with us. And I'd encourage you, don't, don't, don't be a spectator. You know, be a participator. If God has put something in your heart to, to, to do and to help us uh, grow, and you know, the truth is, in church families, you need us and we need you. That's the truth, and that's the beauty. Uh, that's the beauty of this whole thing. Um, and, and we're saying we need you. And uh, uh, if there's something that the Lord's put in your heart, maybe in the place of service, maybe in the place of musicianship, maybe in the whatever, leadership, maybe you just have a heart that really likes to help and serve in different areas. You like to carry speakers, you know, just, you know, whatever it might be. Or maybe you have a heart to uh, help us develop small groups. You have a passion to, to get those one-on-one -on -one connections with people and lead them maybe through a Bible study or some kind of program. Uh, I encourage you, don't, don't sit on the sidelines. Uh, uh, get totally engaged, get thrown into it, and let's build uh, the kingdom of God together as a family. Amen? Uh, so, yeah, again, the sign-up sheets are outside. You can look at them, you know, feel free to do as, as you please, you know, pray about it, whatever. Um, we actually, we do, speaking of activism, we actually do want to close out with a time of prayer. And if you guys just want to pray with the people at your table, for those of you that don't know, and I would highly recommend and encourage you to go to the website. There's a website called um, A Day of Prayer for the Peace of Jerusalem. Um, they have wonderful resources. If you're kind of like, why should I pray for Jerusalem? If you don't even have a grid for that, there's wonderful, wonderful points laid out. But I will say, you cannot be a biblically sound Christian without understanding the importance of Israel, the Jewish race. That that's not to say that any people group that God is opposed to them, meaning that obviously there's wars and things like that between them. God doesn't hate and despise those other ones. 
it, but it's understanding his redemptive purpose for Israel, his heart for Israel. But also he specifically says that those that pray for Israel, that he will prosper. We don't pray for Israel to prosper. We pray for Israel because his heart is so intrinsically entwined with that people. And so as many of you know, there's great turmoil, great hardship. Um, so we do want to just take some time specifically today, but I would like to highlight, we don't have time to go through the scriptural premise right now, but I would like to highlight just even that website for your own awareness and your own knowledge and for the Lord to be able to expand your heart. What's um, that website again? Um, a, a day, it, it's actually D, sorry, it's like abbreviated. <laughs> uh, it's a day of prayer, a day of prayer for the peace of Jerusalem. If you Google that, you're going to come to their thing. I can pull up the actual. So why don't we take a couple minutes and just uh, stay within your tables. And let's just pray. You can pray just simply just this as the Psalms instructs us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalms 122, I believe, verse 6 it is. Um, And let's just take five minutes. I know it's been a long stretch. Listen, you know, we've done worthless things for longer. You know, let's let's just engage a couple minutes and, and pray. Jerusalem right now, God, we ask, Lord, that, um, Lord, as your hand would be upon them, Lord, in this uh, season of uh, unrest, Lord, in the Middle East, Lord, surrounded by many nations that uh, would give no thought, Lord, to wipe them off the face of the earth, Lord. So, God, we just ask, Lord, that you give their government uh, 
wisdom, God, on how to handle these tensions, God, and these, these things, Lord, these um, rage, Lord, and, and, and uh, violence, Lord, that surrounds them, God. Lord, we ask, God, that you would fortify, Lord, your walls about them, oh God, and Lord, that you give them wisdom and guidance in Jesus' name. And we pray for the peace, Lord, of Jerusalem, God, we pray that, Lord, your shalom, Lord, would, would fill that nation, God, uh, in Jesus' name. surrounded, Lord, by such hostile nations, God, and there's a lot of confusion and wars and rumors of wars, God. We just ask, God, that the canopy of your love, Lord, would overshadow them, and God, that you would give their people a perfect peace and a perfect rest, and God, that salvation would bear yes. its fruit in that nation, oh God, that you would bring, God, your people back to you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Listen, three things. We have a bunch of food. Please eat, young guys. Jacob, come on. Put it in your bag. You know, put put some, it in your put bag. Some stuff, bring it home. Get it in there. Um, two, for the Bound for Life, uh, uh, our chapter, Bound for Life Boston, the leader of that chapter is Crystal Benedict. So if you have any questions that you want to ask, any, you know, any point of connection that you want to make, Crystal Benedict is your person. Uh, the, the website, we butchered it the first time, but it's... It's daytopray.org. Okay, to get some more information. Listen, we love you. Please get some food. Amen? All right. Be blessed, guys. Thank you.